And welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 92. Yesterday we concluded in chapter 30 with Job uh, giving his final arguments as if he was in court to the jury with regard to his innocence. So let's pick it up in chapter 31. Job says, Have I made a covenant with my eyes? How then could I look at a young woman? For what portion would I have from from God above or what inheritance from the Almighty on high? And so... Job is saying, look, I haven't looked at another uh, a young woman in lust, you know, <clears throat> betraying my wife or anything like that. He says, I haven't done that. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes essentially not to do that. And so I'm not wrong with regard to that. It dropped down to verse 7. It says, if my step has turned away uh, from my heart and my heart has followed my eyes or impurity has stained my hands, let someone else eat what I have sown. Let my crops be unrooted, uprooted. And so he's saying, you know, if I've turned away f- uh, from the way of God and then my heart has followed my eyes, if my eyes were, were coveting things and my heart had followed that, then, yeah, I'd be guilty. Then take my stuff, uproot it. But I haven't done that. Then it says in verse nine, if my heart has gone astray over a woman or I have lurked at my neighbor's door, let my own wife grind grain for another man and let other men sleep with her. And so Job is saying, look, if I've looked at another man's wife, coveting her, wanting her, desiring her, if I've coveted his stuff, his property or whatever, and he says, let my own wife grind grain for another man and let other men sleep with her. And so, again, Job is presenting his case why he's not guilty and why he doesn't understand why he's experienced what he's experiencing. And it says in verse 24, if I place my confidence in gold or, or, or call fine gold my trust, if I have rejoiced because my wealth is great or because my own hand has acquired as much, this would also be an iniquity uh, deserving punishment for I would have denied God alone. Or excuse me, for I would have denied God above. So he's saying, look, <clears throat> if I've taken a pride, of anything that I've done, you know, by the works of my hand or whatever, uh, then I would have been denying God because I would be saying it was all me. And I would just deny his, uh, his place in my life or his workings in my life. And Job is saying, but I haven't done that. And then it says in verse 29, have I rejoiced over my enemy's distress or become excited when trouble came his way? I have not allowed, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life with a curse. This is like, Job is saying, look, even my enemies, I haven't asked for bad things to happen to them. You know, I I, I don't get it. I'm right. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. In verse 32, he says, no stranger had to spend the night on the street, for I opened my door to the traveler. He's saying, I opened my door to strangers because I didn't want them sleeping in the street. Have I covered my transgressions as as others do by hiding my iniquity in my heart? You know, have I have I not been honest is what Job is essentially saying. You know, have I covered over things that I know I've done wrong? He says, no, I I haven't done that. I'm innocent. In verse 32, it says, if only I had someone to hear my case, here is my signature. Let the Lord let the almighty answer me. Let my opponent compose his indictment. He's kind of putting God on trial here. Right. He says, if only I had someone to hear my case, then they would see that I'm innocent. And he's saying, here's my signature. Let the uh, let the almighty answer me. So, God, I haven't done anything wrong. You answer me. You know, why are you punishing me? I didn't do anything wrong. You know, this is this is Job essentially talking to the Lord. He says, let my opponent compose his indictment. That sounds kind of like a challenge. 
You know, he's kind of challenging the Lord with regard. He's done uh, what he's allowed happen to Job. And then at the end of uh, chapter 31, it says the words of Job are concluded. So again, Job has finished speaking to his friends now and it's done. But there was a fourth listener. Somebody else was listening in on this whole dialogue, what's been going back and forth. And in chapter 32, it says, so these three men quit answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu from the family of Ram became angry. He was angry at Job because he had justified himself rather than God. Now, this is interesting here. In another source of mine, this is a comment on um, on this particular uh, verse. And it says, Elihu said Job's suffering would not go away until he realized his present sin. He maintained that Job wasn't suffering because of sin, but that he was sinning because of his suffering. See, Elihu's claim was that, look, you know, Job, even, okay, let's say I buy that you didn't do anything wrong, but in your responses, you're continuously justifying yourself, essentially putting God on trial. And in your response to what's happening to you, happening to you, now you're sinning. And so that was Elihu's perspective. Elihu pointed out that Job's attitude had become arrogant as he tried to defend his innocence. And so <clears throat> it was in his defense that he was sinning, not that he had sinned to get in his situation. And so then, um, let's go on. And it says here uh, in verse 3, chapter 32, uh, Elihu was angry, also angry at Job's three friends because they had failed to refute him and yet had condemned him. And so Elihu said, look, you're just condemning him, but you're not really offering any insight. You know, you're not refuting him. In verse 4, now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were all older than he, but when he saw that the three men could not answer Job, he became angry. So Elihu responded, I am young in years while you are old. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to tell you what I know. <clears throat> I thought that age should speak uh, and maturity should, re uh, should teach wisdom. And so Elihu is showing maturity here because we know that the Lord values age and wisdom and, and so on and so forth. And um, uh, it, is, it, is, it is not age. Uh, the Lord isn't condemning of age like culture does. Our culture condemns age, but the Lord doesn't. You know, the Lord sees that as, a, uh, as an opportunity for us to gain more wisdom, more insight, uh, and whatnot. In verse 8 it says, But it is the spirit in a person, the breath from the Almighty, that gives anyone understanding. It is not only the old who are wise or the elderly who understand how to judge. Therefore I say, listen to me, I too will declare what I know. Look, I waited for your conclusions. Now I listened to your insights as you sought for words. I paid close attention to you, yet no one proved Job wrong. Not one of you refuted his arguments. So do not claim we have found wisdom. Let God deal with him, not man. <clears throat> and so he's, you know, he's refuting the friends. He said, you look, you're, you're saying things and making conclusions, but you haven't done your job. You haven't, you haven't refuted what Job uh, is saying or what his perspective is. And so be quiet, basically, is what Elihu is telling them. And he says in verse 17, I too listen. This is I too will, excuse me, I too will answer. Yes, I will tell you what I know, for I am full of words and my spirit compels me to speak. I must speak so that I can find relief, relief 
I must open my lips and respond. And so he said, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm being patient, I'm listening, I'm listening, but I'm not hearing anything that's worth listening to. And I've got something I've got to say. I'm compelled to say it. I need to say it. And I personally have been in that situation a number of times when things are being spoken that I don't think are addressing the real issue. And it feels like it's bottled up in me. I just got to say something. I'm just waiting for the opportunity. Sometimes it's appropriate to do so, and sometimes it's not. Anyway, in chapter 33, verse 1. But now, uh, but now, Job, pay attention to my speech and listen to all my words. I am going to open my mouth. My tongue will form words on my palate. My words will come from my upright heart, and my lips speak with sincerity uh, what they know. And so Elihu is basically framing what he's about to say. He says, look, I'm going to tell you something. You can essentially take it or reject it, but it's from my heart. It's sincere. And I think you need to hear me out. In verse nine, surely you have spoken uh, in my hearing and I have heard these very words. I am pure without transgression. I am clean and have no iniquity, but he finds reasons to oppose me. Uh, he regards me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He stands over. He stands watch over all my paths. And so this is Elihu doing what a good conversationalist should do. He's repeating back to Job what he heard Job say about himself. And so he wants to make sure that he's not misunderstanding where Job is coming from, that he's in fact you know, repeating what Job has stated. And so, he, you know, he's saying, you know, I am pure without transgression. This is Job talking about himself. Job thinks that he's clean and that he has no iniquity um, and that uh, he doesn't understand why God is opposing him. And so Elihu is repeating this back to Job. It says in uh, verse 12, but I, tell that you, but I tell you that you are wrong in this matter. Since God is greater than man, why do you take him to court? for not answering anything a person asks. And so, and so uh, Elihu is telling Job essentially, why are you holding it against God that he's not answering you? You know, do you understand the magnificence of God? Do you understand everything he's done? Yet you're holding him not answering you against him. You sure you want to do that, Job? Then he goes on, verse 14. For God speaks time, uh, time and again, but a person may not notice it. In a dream, a vision in the night, when a deep sleep comes over people as they slumber on their beds, he uncovers their ears and terrifies them with warnings in order to turn a person from his actions and suppress the pride of a person. And so he says, not only that, how do you know God hasn't answered you? He speaks to his people in many ways, in dreams, visions, so on and so forth. But a lot of times, maybe even most of the time, people don't recognize that it is God that's trying to speak to them. And so... <clears throat> He's basically challenging, again, you know, Job's perspective on how he's interpreting the things that have happened to him. We move on to chapter 34. In verse 4, it says, Let us judge for ourselves what is, what is right. Let us decide together what is good. For Job has declared, I am righteous, yet God has de deprived me of justice. Would I lie about my case? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. And so, again, Elihu is repeating to Job, uh, Job's position, you know, Job thinking that he is righteous, yet God has deprived me of justice and that his wound is incurable, though he is without transgression. And then Elihu says, uh, what man is like Job? And so he's being kind of facetious here. He's like, oh, wow. You know, what man is like you, Job? Then he says, he drinks derision like water. He keeps company with evildoers and walks with the wicked men. For he has said a man gains nothing when he becomes God's friend. 
becomes God's friend. And so what Elihu is saying, remember, you know, when Job is, is, is making his observations about life and, you know, that the age old question, you know, why do wicked people prosper and, and, and the righteous suffer? And so in, in, so this is an undercurrent in what Job has said to his three friends. And so uh, Elihu was, is calling him on the carpet, basically, for assuming that a man gains nothing, a man being him gains nothing by um, being God's friend. So he's, he's essentially saying, look, if I'm going to end up in this position, if I'm going to be jacked up by the Lord, then why not have some front fun and why not sin and do all this other stuff if I'm going to end up in this position anyway? And so um, as opposed to being righteous and trying to live by God and ending up in this exact same situation. And so Elihu was coming at Job for that attitude, for displaying that attitude and that perspective, you know, <clears throat> because essentially he's challenging you know, Job with regard to, you know, what he knows about all the cosmic activities that is under, you know, God's rule, if you will. And so he's basically, Job is basically responding out of his knowledge as opposed to out of, out of his micro knowledge instead of out of the macro knowledge and view that, God's, that God has. So we go on to chapter 35 and it says, then Elihu continued saying, um, uh, do you think it is just when you say I am righteous before God for you ask, what does it profit you and what benefit comes to me if I do not sin? And so again, it's the same thing here when Elihu was challenging him and said, look, you're, you're thinking that look, if I'm not going to profit, you know, because I'm being righteous, then screw being righteous. Why not just do whatever I want to do? You know, I end up in the same place. <clears throat> and so again, Elihu is, is, is confronting this perspective that Job is putting out there and maybe not only out there, but that uh, Job has allowed to seep into his, uh, into his being. And so we go on to chapter 36 and let's look at verse 16. It says, indeed, he, he lured you from the jaws of distress uh, to a spacious and unconfined place. Your table was spread with choice food. Yet now you are obsessed with judgment. Do the wicked judgment and justice have seized you. In other words, he's saying, look, you know, when everything was great and you were eating choice foods, it was one thing. But now that you have ended up in this situation, now you're obsessed with judgment of the wicked. In other words, it's like you're looking at your situation and circumstances and then you're comparing yourself. You're looking around and you say, well, this one's wicked. That one's wicked. That one's wicked. But none of them are dealing with what I'm dealing with. How come? How come they don't have to deal with this stuff? You know, he's in the spirit of comparison with regard to those that he deems wicked and what their um, what their situation is versus what his situation is. Uh, having been a righteous man. And so uh, Elihu was telling me, he says, now you're obsessed you know, with this stuff only because this, this is the situation you're in. It says judgment and justice have seized you. That wasn't the case before you entered the situation. Why now? And so, again, he's trying to get Job to see things from a different perspective. And then it says this in verse 21. Be careful that you do not turn to iniquity, for that is why you have been tested by affliction. And so from this, this one verse, chapter 36, verse 21 boils down what Elihu's perspective or what Elihu's point is as he's trying to get this point across to Job is that it's not that you have done anything wrong, but it says uh, in your trials, be careful not to turn to iniquity for that is why you have been tested by affliction. So you've been tested, Job, to see if you would turn to iniquity in your suffering. 
And that's essentially what was the deal between uh, the Lord and Satan. Because Satan's position was, well, Job will turn, you know, if he's in a bad situation. Remove your hand from him, God, and watch him turn. That was Satan's perspective. And Elihu has nailed it here when he says, be careful that you do not turn to iniquity, for that is why you have been tested by affliction. So, Job, this is the answer to all your whys, all your questioning. Why me? Why me? Why this? Why that? This is the issue right here. And so... <clears throat> In chapter 37, Elihu goes on to say some more stuff. Elihu says a lot of stuff. And so from chapters uh, 32 to 37, uh, Elihu is speaking. And so I have just highlighted the things that spoke to me. And so I challenge you to read it for yourself and see what sticks out to you. Some of it, you wonder, like, what is Elihu trying to say here? Because, it gets, again, it gets real poetic and real. It's like, I don't, I don't get where he's coming from. Don't feel bad if, if, if that happens. And so then we go on. <clears throat> To chapter 38, the subhead in my Bible says, the Lord speaks. Okay, so now it's about to get serious. <laughs> chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? And so the Lord is saying, you know, Job, essentially, who are you to question me? And then he, he, challenges, he challenges him. He says, get ready to answer me like a man when I ask you some of these questions I got for you. And then he says, you will inform me when I ask you. And he says, where were you when I established the earth? You know, then he says, tell me if you have understanding who fixed its dimensions. Certainly, you know. And he goes on, he starts asking Job a whole bunch of questions. Drop down to verse 12. He says, have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? Have you ever in your life done that, Job? <laughs> this is what the Lord is saying in verse 17. Um, have the gates of death been revealed to you? In verse uh, 18. Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Verse 19, where is the road to the home of light? Do you know where darkness lives so you can lead, uh, so you can lead it back to its border? Whoa, whoa. He says, where is the road to the home of light? The home of light. Uh, Job, do you know these answers? He says, do you know where darkness lives? So you can lead it back to its border. Do you, do you know how to repress, how to suppress, how to restrain, how to constrain darkness? You know, if you know, let me know how to do that. You know, you tell me how to do that, Job. Then it says uh, in verse uh, 22, have you seen the storehouses of hail? Hail is in the stuff that falls from the sky, which I hold in reserve for times of trouble for the day of warf warfare and battle. Essentially, the Lord uses hail as ammo. And so he's, he's, a, he's asking Job, you know, have you seen the storehouses of hell? You know, if so, where are they? He, he's asking Job a series of, of questions that obviously no man can answer. He's not asking Job for him to answer. He's asking Job to point out to Job that there are so many things that you don't understand. You're just concerned about this one thing. You don't understand the big picture, Job. This is what God is telling him. He says in verse 33, uh, do you know the laws of heaven? 
can you impose its authority on earth? Whoa, whoa. He says in verse 36, who put wisdom in the heart or gave the mind understanding? And then he goes, he asks him more of these kind of questions. Then he gets into things like nature and the animals. He starts asking him questions uh, about the animals. He says, do you give strength to the horse? Do you adorn his neck with a mane? You know, he's asking questions, uh, you know, about birds and hawks in the air and all this kind of stuff. He's again, he's asking questions. Job cannot answer. And then it says in uh, chapter 40, the Lord answered Job. He says uh, in verse two, will the one who contends with the almighty correct him? Let him who argues with God give an answer. And so then in verse three, it says, then Job answered the Lord. (laughs) Verse four, here we go. I am so uh, insignificant. How can I answer you? So, I mean, he, obviously God was just setting Job up. And, and, and as these questions are coming at him, he's like, I have no idea. I have, oh God, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. And he says, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? In verse six, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Get ready to answer me like a man. In other words, the Lord is telling Job, no, 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 ask, that's not good enough. You got to answer me. When I question you, you inform me. Would you really challenge my justice? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? Whoa, whoa. He says, would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? Wow. How many of us get into that situation? Want to blame God for stuff in order to justify our position because we don't like the situation that we're in. Hmm. And then from verse 15 um, of chapter 40 and then going into chapter 41 uh, through the end of 41, uh, the Lord talks about the behemoth and uh, Leviathan, behemoth being the land monster, the land, many of it thinking, uh, many people thinking uh, the behemoth being a mammoth or a large elephant or something like that. And Leviathan, some kind of sea creature, sea monster, whatever. And he, he's essentially, the Lord's talking about their magnificence with regard to their muscles and, and how strong they are and what they can do. And he says, do you understand them? Do you understand where they came from? Do you, do you know anything about this, Job? You know, and obviously Job can't answer. And so we get into chapter 42. It says, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, um, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. You said, um, listen now, I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. (laughs) So Job's response to me is perfect. He's like, look, I was talking about stuff I had no idea about. I'm just I'm just dust and ashes in your presence. Forgive me for what I said. Um, I reject my words because they were spoken out of ignorance. I'm an idiot is essentially what he's saying. And that I can imagine I would be saying something like that before the Lord as well. In verse seven, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, uh, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now we see that the Lord has broken down Job, but now he's starting to edify and build Job back up. He's coming at his friends and says, look, 
you haven't spoken the truth about me the way Job has. Now take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves. So he said, look, I'm going to grant you mercy. I'm not going to deal with you with regard to what you deserve. Just do these things and have uh, my servant Job uh, uh, pray for you. And he says, uh, for you have not spoken, uh, spoken the truth uh, about me as my servant Job has. You know, and, and so, he, again, he's elevating Job. He's, he's, he's edifying Job. And he says, then Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar uh, did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And so they went, and Job did. He, he, he made a burnt offering uh, for them, and then he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord heard their prayer. And so I'm, I'm imagining that that, that that relationship, if it was compromised in some way, got put back together. Then it says in verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers, sisters, and former acquaintances, former acquaintances, came to him and dined with him in his house. I wonder, how many of these people vacated Job's presence when he was going through his stuff? You know, to me, it's, it's like the definition of fair weather, friends, and family. But now that he got restored, everybody's coming back into the picture. And it says they sympathize, they sympathize with him and comforted him concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Now, remember, it was Satan that wanted to bring things against him. The Lord gave him permission and allowed it. Um, but now it's saying here there's no mention of Satan. It's just saying the Lord had brought this stuff on him. But remember, Satan can't do anything to the Lord's anointed unless he has their permit, unless he has God's permission. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold earring. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first part. And so to me, this is huge encouragement because it's like, you know, culture tells us that the older we get, the less useful we become. We become a nuisance, in fact, an annoyance and something that needs to be gotten rid of. But the Lord said in the second half, he blessed him more than the first half. And so this is the kingdom perspective. This is God's perspective. The other perspective is culture. And we've got to watch out with regard to how we allow culture to impact us. In verse 13, he says, he also had seven sons and three daughters. And it made me wonder, were they from the same wife? Because when she, she basically told him to ignore his integrity and die. So it's just a question I have. And then in verse 15, it says, no woman as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all the land, and their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. Now, remember, at this time, normally, it was the sons that got the inheritance. The daughters married off. They were included in the inheritance of their husbands, but it was the sons who mainly got the inheritance. But in this case, uh, his daughters were also a part of that. And then in uh, verse 16, it says, Job lived 140 years after this it says 140 years after this. So was this 140 years after all this stuff happened? And so his entire life was maybe approaching 200 years? I don't, I don't know. Um, and it says, and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. The fourth generation. Wow. Then Job died old and full of his days. I think I'm, I'm going to have to repent with regard to the book of Job. Um, I, it hasn't been one of my favorite books uh, because of the suffering that Job had gone through. But if I really look at this, this is really, if I look beneath the surface, it's a book of hope because the Lord restored Job. Job did not 
did not defy his integrity, although he did step into sin questioning the Lord. But the Lord restored him. And that tells me that regardless of what we're going through, the Lord can also restore us. And so with that, we're going to pick it up in the book of Psalms tomorrow. Everybody have a blessed day. Bye-bye.